0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. A sermon by Matt Carpenter on March twelfth. that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth shall pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whosoever therefore breaks one of these least commandments and teaches men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of life that comes through Christ, for teaching us the way that we should walk. May we receive your word now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Many great works of literature have at some point the main character going on a journey. And it makes it even better when the trip you go on has some type of treasure at the end. Most people wouldn't go on a journey unless there's something good on the other side. I mean, who wants to go on a journey just to get there and then come home feeling worse than you did when you left? I mean, no one ever does that, right? Well, in Scripture we're given a particular path And the path ends in a treasure. It also includes gaining, acquiring treasure along the way. And the final result, the place where the path ends, is standing before a king. We're Americans, and Americans don't, very much of, of honoring anyone because the American motto is, no man is better than anybody else. So we're not going to look at anyone. That, yes, we would say that God is, but that's only because the Bible tells us to. We don't like assuming that there's one who's greater, but we all know that the God of heaven and earth is greater. Not just greater, the greatest. And he's told us how we come to him. And that is through a type of righteousness that supersedes anything that we ourselves are capable of performing. These verses take us from the introduction in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11. And 12, that they take us from there talking about the flourishing man, that is his inner life, to the outward morality of a flourishing man. What does it look like? What does the life of a man who is godly look like? Well, Jesus is going to explain that in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But the kingdom of heaven always begins in our hearts. As Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. And actually, that, that phrase means it begins within you. There are people who come to the kingdom from the outside who it is not in their hearts, it's never been in their hearts, and eventually when they die, they will not be in the kingdom. So it must begin within and proceed Pour forth from there. Our faith is not dead. It is vindicated. It is demonstrated through works. So we must never be a people who ignore God's law. Jesus loves his Father's law. He loves it not just because the Father gave it, but because it is a part of his very nature. When God gave us His law, He wasn't just saying, do this, and like all of us who are parents, when, when, you, when your kids have asked reasons for why, you, we, why do we have to do this? What do we give them? Because, finish it for me please, because I said so. The superior trump card, the thing that oversteps any reason you, you, you've all, we've all been children before. Maybe some of us can even remember giving that same question and hating that answer. We know that it's the only poetic justice that our children should feel the same way. <laughs> but no, God did not do that. He did not give us the law and just say, Because I said so, be quiet. No, He gave us the law because it's a revelation. Of who he is? Do you want to know what your father is like? Do we want to know what he loves and what he hates? That's what God's law is for. When you care about someone, you want to know what they love, right? I mean, husbands, how, how many of you, when you were dating your wife, wanted to know things about her just because? You like her. Hopefully all of you. And wives, the same way. You want to know things. And then maybe, maybe, even as you're married, you still want to know good things about, that your spouse likes. But that's another sermon. We, want, we should desire to know about our Father because we love Him. And we know He loves us. God's law is the path to flourishing, to happiness, to blessing. But we are a naturally mechanistic people. We like, put the key in the ignition, turn it, and then the engine starts. I know if I I have the right key and I turn it the right way, it starts immediately. We want to know, okay, I do this, I get that. I don't do this, I avoid that. And that's where we like to stop. But instead, when we come to the law of God, we should think, walk in this path and be transformed into what God intends you to be. You see, the path right now, the, the, the reason he does not immediately... I, I remember asking this question when I was young. When you become a Christian, why does God not just go ahead and... You may have heard the term rapture you once or twice before. Why didn't He just immediately rapture you and take you out? I mean, because then you would avoid a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of trial, and all these things. It would be so wonderful. But He's preparing you. There is a weight of glory coming that we could not handle as we are. So everything we go through in this life is preparing us for the coming weight of glory. That's not just pious platitudes. That's the Apostle Paul. As we saw in the previous verses in Matthew chapter 5, this is the path to bring God's salt, His peace. Salt and peace go together. Or His light. That is the revelation of God. This is the path to bring that to the world. And he's appointed us for that task. We don't usually think of the law as a burden, excuse me, as a gift. We don't think of it always as a gift, but often it is a burden. Something that we have to do to just stay out of trouble. But this path is the one he's given to restore the world to shine as a kingdom of priests. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8, when Moses is giving his final sermon to the people. He says, "What nation is there so great that has such statutes and judgments as are in all this law which I have set before you this day?" So in other words, you are my privileged people. Who has received such a gift? It began with Jesus' sacrifice. It has to start there. It's, it's not enough for God's people. And we know what happened to Israel. They couldn't keep the law. They would try, they would go a few steps and then stumble and then make a huge mess of everything and take a few other people down with them or nations down with them and then they would get up and just do it all over again. And they were a muddy, ugly, fouled mess. But the Father understood that. He knew that. So Jesus had to come first. He took all the evil of the world on himself and freed us then to follow him. Discipleship is not about keeping rules alone, but it's about learning a way. We have have received a path. We've been taught where we are headed, and we are headed to to the king, to the creator, to the savior of the world. That's where we're going. There is an inheritance waiting us there. And so we are walking a path, and that path is God's law. So after proclaiming to the people that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, Jesus issues a final preface before he gets to the heart of the sermon. And that preface is on the importance of the law. He knew he would be critiqued. For ignoring the law if not at that time he would be and we know this happens what we heard about we heard Jason preached on this last week and it's not the first time Jesus was critiqued for not following the law the Jewish leaders were constantly complaining why is he doing this why is he healing on the Sabbath now have you ever asked yourself the question why did they care Because I've read Leviticus once and I didn't see anything about not healing on the Sabbath. Well, it's because in addition to the revealed law of God, there was the man-made oral tradition. It was compiled together and known as the Mishnah. It's a Jewish tradition given to help people keep Torah, to keep the law. And Jesus didn't hold precisely to the Mishnah. He violated it. And he was often confronted about not keeping the law. But when he was confronted, he did not get defensive and say, oh no, it's not that I'm not keeping the law. You're not keeping the law. And that's true, they weren't. But Jesus wisely responded with a question. When they would ask, why are you not keeping the law, he would say, Show me in the Torah. Can, can, can you show me? He was he responded like Socrates, and asking questions that they could not answer. It's not because the questions were too hard, but because they brought conviction. Jesus was not breaking. God's law, he was showing how to fulfill it. He was going beyond the old requirements, the man-made requirements, and demonstrating the supernatural blessing that comes not just from obedience, but delight. And delight is the key. What we, we Remember Psalm 1, Psalm 1 and Matthew 5. Closely tied together. Blessed is the man who, here's that that path metaphor again, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the path of sinners and doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. So that's what we want Be the the one who not just keeps the law, but who delights in it. And parents, this is the goal for our children. If your goal for your kids is just make them conform to the rules of the home and not give me any grief about conforming. If conforming is the only requirement that you have, you will probably achieve that. But you will have gained nothing, except maybe teaching your kids how to be really good hypocrites. No, the goal is delight. It's delight. Loving the law. The old standards, the old covenant standards, are perfect. But even though there is no imperfection in them, it is not the entirety of who God is. In one sense, they were incomplete because keeping them alone is not the entire fullness of knowing God. They would not... The, the, the standards of God do not pass away, but neither were they the ultimate end or purpose of life. And so we, we have to be careful not treating the law as the, the goal. If keeping the law is the only goal, even that is insufficient. Because the goal, the point, the purpose of life, is restoration to God through Christ. That's the goal. The law is the path to the goal. When we follow the path with a a heart of submission, with a heart of, of seeking, we will end... With Christ. Breaking from the way, breaking off the path, which is the meaning of the word transgression. Transgression means going off of the path. When we break away to find another path, well, we're actually not following towards God. Anymore, You cannot become who you were intended, who God made you to be by seeking your own path, by doing your own thing. That's that's what verse 19 is saying. Whoever breaks one of these least commandments and teaches men so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. We naturally, our fleshly man loves seeking our own path. And we like following those who encourage us to do that. What we, we pursue the one who says, Do what really s- seems best to you. We like more personalized paths, we like vague paths. Only one as devious. As our arch enemy, could come up with a plan that makes following our own selfish desires sound so esoteric and awesome. He holds before us, in, in a mesmerizing way, this image that says if only you conform to yourself, can you become what you want. And the problem is that feels right to our flesh. That feels really good at first. But then we find that we are becoming a more and more wretched version of ourselves when we follow that path. And even in the Christian world, there are people who say that God's law is unnecessary. Unnecessary. It's it's gone. So I mean, they will take the verse when Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, or we'll refer to it later on. We heard it read this morning already, Romans 13, 8. Love is the fulfillment of the law. All you need is love. You just follow love, and love is defined by doing whatever it is I want to do. So God's law is done away with. It's fulfilled. It's gone. That's not what Jesus is saying. You might as well blow up the road between here and wherever you're going if you're going to ignore God's law. Jesus says that the law is not going away. He came to fulfill, he says not only the law, he he specifies, I came not to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill. Now there's a, a question that arises here which is what exactly is the role of the law right now? Should we use it like the ancient Israelites did? Well, the Westminster Confession, our confession specifically says, we talked about this in the deacon training, that we don't use it exactly the way that Israel did. And we could talk about it for a while, and that's not the point of the sermon. That's not the point Jesus is making here. We we cannot come to the precise uses of the law through these four verses alone. Jesus is not making a declarative statement on how God's law must be applied in all circumstances, but on the importance of the law in kingdom life. Again, Paul will say the same thing. Romans 13, 8, no man anything but to love one another, for love is the fulfillment of the law. And then Paul goes on to list, as we heard, several commandments that are an expression of how we practically demonstrate love to one another. In this passage and following, Jesus warns the people of the danger from ignoring God's law. But those dangers, there's two sides. We can ignore God's law in in a very obvious way and then in a not-so-obvious way. Think of them like two crooked brothers. The first one, everybody... The first brother is the one that all parents warn their daughters about. Okay, This brother wears all black and his name's not Johnny Cash. He's openly crooked, he cheats, he lies, he steals, and he talks about how great rebellion is. So close. Nope, don't want, the, don't want him. So, so we kick him out immediately. But the other one, the more insidious one, he comes along and he looks like a gentleman. He dresses wonderfully. Not too perfect, just exactly the way we would want somebody to dress. He says, yes, sir, and no, sir, to the right people. And he always looks like he goes above and beyond. But all the while, he's off, while he's doing things that outwardly look good, he's offloading his main responsibilities onto other people. And he bears down on those who work for him. He treats them badly because they're not doing enough while he himself is evading the things he's supposed to do. Now, we all recognize the first man as wicked, no question. We don't as easily recognize the other brother. That's because He has a semi-permanent place of residence in our hearts. We know him very well. We know we have to kick the first brother out. But we really like the one who knows how to look good while actually not doing the things he's supposed to do. We like holding up standards and making everybody else conform to our standards while we actually ignore the purpose of God's law, which is to drive us and others to Christ. If you take pride in God's law because you're holding to it so well while actually using it as a cudgel to instruct other people and look down on them, you're doing it the wrong way. Jesus here in this passage calls for superior righteousness. A standard of justice that exceeds anything we could muster in both expectation but also in grace. His righteousness, this superior righteousness, can't be bought, bribed, cheated, or reduced. Neither can it be achieved on our own. The standards for this righteousness are too high. It only comes through supernatural union, through connection to a perfect God-man. That doesn't mean once you are converted, you can safely ignore the law. But it does mean that you can't succeed in this righteousness by your working to keep it alone. It demands walking with the Son of righteousness, keeping His ways. So when you fail, as we all do, repent, get up, and keep on walking. The path, thankfully, is clear. He gives it to us, and He's given us a community to help walk together on the path. This superior righteousness, this greater way, is the difference between the old and new covenant. It's the path saints of old longed for, sang about, and dreamt of. We have before us, brothers and sisters, the way of life, and it is the only way to really live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for revealing... Your word to us may we receive it and be transformed through christ our savior we pray amen thanks for listening if you want to find out more check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com that's trinity reformed k-i-r-k